Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carpenter, host, and with me today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Neil Solons. He is the voice of the post and pregame of the Tampa Bay Rays when you're listening to them on radio. He's also occasionally uh, doing the play-by-play and the podcast host for the weekly Tampa Bay Rays podcast, which is very informative. And we'll talk about a little bit there as well. And also an advocate for the awareness on pancreatic cancer and some strides that are being made there. Welcome, Neil. How you doing, man? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it, Mark. <laughs> Seems like it was just moments ago, but it's I'm glad to have you back, my friend. Gee, my niece, dude, I was talking about earlier. 365 days a year. That's who you are. You're you're with the Tampa Bay Rays organization. You know, uh, some of the other folks that do broadcasting have other gigs on the side in the off season, whether they're doing announcing for collegiate ball uh, or conferences or, or some with real estate, but you're there 365 days a year. You've, you've got probably got the best pulse on what's going on with the Tampa Bay Rays. So I'm real excited about having you here, my friend. I appreciate that. You know, I, I think for for all of us who cover the team, whether it's myself or the lead broadcasters, Dave and Andy, uh, or, you know, Omar Topkin of the Times or an Adam Berry of MLB.com or, or Trisha with Bally, um, you know, I think for all of us, it's a labor of love. You know, Dave uh, Wills likes to allude to us, you know, living in life's candy store and to call baseball work for a living is fun. Um, it's enjoyable. Um, and it's what we love doing. So, um, yes, it's it's probably a little bit different now than it was years ago in terms of the way that, you know, the, the off season is. But, um, you know, it's because we love doing it and makes it a whole lot easier to do what we do all the time. Well, like I said, you're able to keep your thumb on the pulse. And by that, I mean, you're seeing what's going on during that off season. You're seeing the the people that are working on bringing either trades or bring in a free agent, signing somebody new, you know, a lot of things are going on before that first opening day or even free, uh, spring training. So I know that you're seeing a lot. And with the Rays too, we'll maybe talk a little bit about what 2028 is going to look like. I know you, you've covered that on your podcast recently. I, I think from a, you know, from a, a Rays baseball standpoint, look, this is a, an organization that has been in the postseason now for um, a few years running. Um, you know, 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, four years in a row. And it's been remarkable um, the way they've had to do it. They rely very heavily on young players. I don't think that will change, um, you know, as we go. Um, and, and, and fortunately, the Rays are good at evaluating. They are good from a teaching standpoint. They are good in so many areas. Uh, that I think, you know, they've got a window where they can continue that. And I'm hoping that's the case here in 2023. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I always think of the face of the race from opening day 2022 often doesn't look like what's happening by the end of the season and certainly into the opening or even spring training of 2023. I mean, there's a lot of people that you get to see through the year that you wind up having to say goodbyes to people like Zanino and, Kevin Kiermaier, uh, it, it changes. I mean, you you get an influx of new players, but at the same time, you have to do a bit of the old anxiety. It, there, there is always going to be change. You're right about that. I think what the Rays have done is is because of the way their resources are set up. They, you know, they do have an established core. You know, obviously Kevin Kiermaier's era with the Rays ended, but he was part of the major league club for nearly 10 years, which is a significant period of time. 
Um, you know, he joined at the end of the 13 season, um, which was my second year here and all the way through the end of 22. Um, and Mike Sanino was, was part of those four postseason clubs. Um, you know, I, I think that for the better part, your core players are going to be here for extended periods of time. Um, whether it's Tyler Glass now or Shane McClanahan or Wander Franco or Brandon Lau. And, and yes, you're not going to have as many players. And I think that goes for all of the game. You don't have as many guys who stay with the same club for, for their entire career. Um, but you do have a group that's going to be here for substantial periods. I know looking toward Boston, you know, something similar there. And some fans had to really deal with some hardship when they saw Xander Bogarts go away and somebody beloved and wondering how that was going to change the face and looking at Raphael Devers. So, you know, it's certainly not unique to the Rays. When we saw some changes early on, when I saw that looking at Longoria, when I was started really getting involved with the Rays a couple of years before that and seeing him go, it was hard. You know, I said, who is this Eric Neander guy? What is he doing to my team? <laughs> but you know, then I got to love him after a while, after that first bit of pain, seeing what he could do to build a team. And it's it's hard from an outsider, from a fan to, to be willing to accept some of these changes. But then the fruits of those labors, you know, they, they come to what's happening out there in the field. You know, what, what kind of championships are being achieved? I, and I totally get that from a fan perspective. You know, I, I think um, I understand the reason that people are fans of teams are in part due to the players that are there and the connection that they make. Um, and and sometimes, um, you know, those individuals are going to change. But I think part of it, too, is because the Rays have had a really good farm system and have had, in essence, a funnel of players that they deem ready to take that next step. Um, you know, hopefully all, you know, not all of them are going to produce at the same time, but I think having a constant funnel of good players coming through your system gives you the chance to be as competitive as you can possibly be every single year. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, prepping for uh, spring training coming up and looking at potentially with that roster look at opening day, I know there's going to be some changes or have been some changes in rotation. I guess, we still have uh, Shane McClanahan. Of course, Tyler's going to – hopefully he'll be doing 100% this year. Uh, we saw Yarbs go, Corey Kluber go. Who who are some of the new guys? Uh, Zach – what is that, Zach Eflin? Tell me a little bit about Zach, it. Yeah, so so I would think, at least as we sit here on January the 10th, um, <laughs> you know, is that the rotation looks like Shane McClanahan, Tyler Glass now, Drew Rasmussen, and Jeffrey Springs, who were both fantastic last yeah. year, and Zach Eflin. And – and Zach is, in essence, a local product. He grew up coming to games here. He actually thought when he was coming out of high school, he would be drafted by the Rays. Um, he was traded a couple times through the minor leagues after he was a uh, first-round pick. And he has lived in the Orlando area in the off-seasons. He, he had been with the Phillies through the majority of his career uh, or through into his entire major league career and then became a free agent for the first time and Tampa Bay thought that he would be a really good fit for their roster and their organization and signed him to a three-year contract. And, you know, I, 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 obviously when new players come, you're constantly talking with individuals outside who have been around that person. And, and, you know, my limited interactions with Zach to this point um, have, I wouldn't say verified, but have certainly um, given credence to all the positive things I heard about him as a person as well as as a player. And I, I think that, 
you know, the one thing that the Rays have done over the years beyond having a good farm system is they seem to really find what I consider good character guys to fit when they come to the organization so that the transition is as seamless as possible. He's local. Um, he wants to be here. Um, and the Rays think they can maximize his talent as a starting pitcher. So hopefully all those things come together. Um, and he has three very successful years here. I'm looking forward to having him here as well. And it looks like Kevin's got, you know, Kevin Cash has a pretty good lineup to work with. Uh, excuse me, that's a rotation to work with this year. So I'm excited about that. You know, you know, one of the things when it comes to the Rays, I enjoy, and that's what well, spring training is one thing, but also being able to go to some of the minor league games. And I know over the years back when they had stone crabs and be able to see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Lowe brothers, or excuse me, Lowe brothers there, or, or see Wander Franco, uh, you know, or some others as what Taylor Walls, as, as folks were coming up through the system at some of the other minor leagues as well. It's, it's exciting. Are there any particular people you see in the farm system right now that you think will be rising to the, the major league level? Certainly at some point during the course of the year, Mark, you know, how they, how things, you know, kind of play out is always hard to say at what point during the year, something's going to take shape. But I mean, the Rays have a number of guys who I think are on the cusp. They had some guys who I think had a tough time adjusting to the major league level. Um, You know, Jonathan Aranda and, and Josh Lowe and Vidal Brujan. And I think all of them showed growth during the course of the year and are certainly capable of having an impact in 2023. Um, and then I think there are some guys who haven't yet appeared in in a major league uniform, but we're at the AAA level. And Curtis Mead, an Australian who the Rays got in a, a trade yeah. from the Phillies a couple of years ago, comes to mind as an offensive player who can help. And Taj Bradley, who they drafted and developed when he was started out as a 17-year-old um, and worked his way through the system and finished in AAA last year. Um, they certainly come to mind. And um, then there's a guy who was the reliever of the year in the organization in 21 and had Tommy John surgery last year. And that's Colby White, who the Rays have very high hopes for. And, and I think that group, and then maybe another name to to consider is a, a first baseman who they're high on as well as Kyle Manzardo. And I think all those guys, you know, have the chance to have an impact on this club. There certainly is going to be opportunity Obviously, the hope is is that some of the core offensive players like Brandon Lau and Wander Franco and um, you know Yandy Diaz and and um, and Manuel Margot and Randy Rosarena are healthy and can have a really good year. And I think if that happens, it takes a lot of pressure off the young players to not feel they have to do so much, and it allows them to be, I think, a little more successful, or at least mentally, it's probably a little bit easier on them. Yeah, like I said the farm system to me is just amazing what they're able to do. I th- I can't remember how many of the different teams won championships last year, but I know it's always exciting. I say if I didn't live in Tampa, I'd want to live in Durham, North Carolina, so I could could see the Bulls up there. It's it's a well, having spent eight years there, I mean it's a great place um, to visit. It's a great place to live. Um, it's a great family town. Um, you know, the Raleigh-Durham area is really, really vibrant. So I think the Rays have been fortunate. They've had a great relationship with all their affiliates, be they in Durham and Montgomery and now Bowling Green and uh, in Charleston in South Carolina, um, along with their Florida Complex League team. And, and I think, you know, they've had great partners um, and relationships. And I think all of that, you know, gives you a better chance for success for sure. 
Well, talking about spring training, and I know we're talking about the Florida Complex League. We've talked about the stone crabs in the past. But the one thing I know is there's not really going to be spring training in, in Charlotte, or is there? I, I heard because of the uh, the hurricane and damage down there, there, there might be some question about where spring training is being held. So, yes, you're right. It's it's definitely going to be different this year. Um, I think the one thing that we've come accustomed to is having to change. You know, we we dealt with a pandemic in 20 and 21 and a lockout in 2022. And unfortunately, Hurricane Ian had a, a real tough impact in 2023. And we hope that we're back there sooner than later. But for this year, the team will begin spring training at the major league level in Orlando for the first couple of weeks. Um, the major league team will then shift gears and and spend the month of March, uh, for the most part, at Tropicana Field for home games and also for workouts in the St. Pete area. Um, and the minor league players will stay in Orlando. And the hope is is that um, all of the damage can you know it, there it it obviously takes time. I think anybody who's been down to the Port Charlotte or Northport or Fort Myers area is, is certainly aware of all the devastation, and there are certainly a lot of areas that are probably of greater priority that have to occur before um, Charlotte Sports Park uh, is is repaired and and you know kind of fully functional once again. Um, and in the meantime, our guys will adjust and. Um, you know, they say baseball is a game of adjustments. So um, I'm sure that our guys will kind of handle it seamlessly. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'll probably be heading down there to uh, to see some of the games. Certainly was it done to the ESPN Disney area. Uh, yeah, we'll have we'll have one game there at home and then the rest of the home games will all be at Tropicana Field. So I guess that that, that is, you know, a benefit of having your home so close to your spring training area is that it allows you know, for at least a little bit of an easier transition than a lot of other teams would have to deal with. Right. I would like to say thank you, Neil. I'm as a pregame and postgame host. You make the game so much more interesting to me before we just sit down and watch players take the mound, come up to bed, take the field. You know, we're we're getting excited about those things, but there are stats that can make it interesting. There's personal uh, histories of players. Uh, there's what we see going across divisions and leagues. And you do a great job of sharing that in both your pregame and postgame show. So I want to thank you for that because I always make sure, especially when I'm coming home from the Trump, listening to the game, that I've got you on there. You you add insights to, you know, we see a play, but we don't see maybe why that happened or why that particular player may or may not be doing as well as we'd like. So thank you for that, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I think that it, it's for us, it's about trying to make the game as three-dimensional as possible. You know, Dave and Andy, you know, constantly talk about the fact that, you know, it's it's infotainment. You know, that's what we're providing <laughs> on a night, nightly basis. You know, the combination of, you know, information and entertainment in, in a format that hopefully people can enjoy, um, absorb, and also be able to tell a story. Um, because the Rays are a unique organization with their own, you know, different challenges from other clubs. Um, and each player has a unique story to tell. And, and whether it's pre and post game or um, the long form pro programming that we put together, you know, I think all of that is really vital in terms of, you know, just trying to connect um, players to fans in some way, shape or form. One thing you got to do this year, I know, is you actually were doing a bit of play-by-play. -play. And 
I got to tell you, you add a lot of color with that. I know as I was listening this morning, even to the the piece where you had Jeffrey Springs on the mound, and you you again, you're adding the history. You give a color, and not to take any way, anything away from anybody else, but I I stayed glued to listening to your broadcast on that. So, uh, thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, first of all, I, I think um, I work with two really, really good individuals um, in terms of they're great people and also terrific broadcasters. I think the best team in the game and, and Dave Wills and Andy Freed, um, you know, and, and they make it easy to work with them. You know, we had a unique set of circumstances, you know, uh, Dave had a, a health matter um, in September and um, Andy's family had COVID. Fortunately, Andy did not and his family fully recovered. Um, but there was, I guess, a two-week stretch um, in in June and then a three-week stretch in September where um, I joined either Andy or Dave in the booth, and they make that transition seamless. They make it very easy to work and feel comfortable. And um, and Chris Miller and, and Becca Carney and our, you know, our broadcast assistants, they all are so supportive. Um, our communications team and our players are so great at being cooperative that it makes it a lot easier to tell the stories. You know, I think that you don't, you're, you're, what you do on a daily basis is, is usually the subject or, or due to the help of a lot of different people. Um, most of whom probably don't ask for, but deserve the, uh, you know, more attention for what they do. And, and they make the job a whole lot easier and allow us to do what we want to do on a regular basis. And, and I think too, the Rays also as an organization, give Dave, Andy, myself the the freedom um, to broadcast the way we feel is is the best way. And and I think that makes it a whole lot easier too. As when you're working as part of the Tampa Bay Rays organization, I think that you're still able to give some critical remarks here and there. And I think fans look, I won't say look forward to critical parts, but they they have, have a little bit more a sense of authenticity of, of what's happening with the game. And so again, you know, we hear that from you. I think we hear that from the rest of the broadcasters as well. And one more thing about working with the other the other broadcasters is I do sense that synchronicity of you working together with them and they with you because I can't tell you, man, how many times I have seen some broadcasters. And it's like, really? You put two, those two guys in the same booth together? I'm surprised, you know, knives aren't drawn. So it's obvious that you have a good rapport with them. It, yeah, it's it's a brotherly type relationship for sure. Um, you know, they, they've, and, and they've made that, you know, that way since the beginning, this will be my 12th year with the Rays and Dave and Andy are starting their 19th. Wow. And, um, I, I think, you know, um, in terms of pregame, postgame and play by play, we probably have the, you know, among the longest tenured groups that have stayed together. And I think we get along extremely well. And, during that time, we've also had the same Spanish broadcasters next next door to us in Enrique and Ricardo. And, um, you know, we have a great time with them, too. Um, you know, it's 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 home. Um, it's it's family. And and I think all of that makes it easier to do. Um, I hate to call it a job because it really isn't. Um, it, it, you know, going to the ballpark, as I mentioned, is fun and, and it should be on a very, you know, day by day basis. And while, you know, all of us have you know, our own sets of different challenges in different areas of life, it, it makes it a whole lot easier to come, you know, to, to 
deal with any challenge we're facing because um, we enjoy working with one another so much. We probably see each other more than we do our our own families at times too. So um, you have to like each other and enjoy one another's company to make it work. You know, I've known that MLB of years back said every team has to have somebody who can speak Spanish, has to have a translator. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, not just a coach or somebody who can speak it, but a translator. I know that you, however, when I listen to some of the interviews, that you actually speak to some of the, the Spanish-speaking players in their own language, which I figure probably gives oh a little bit more of a pleasant nature between that conversation, or maybe you extract a little bit more, or they give a little more than they would otherwise. I think it definitely helps. You know, I I um I appreciate you you noticing that. I mean, Manny Navarro, who is our translator and um, does an absolutely outstanding job and he's such a great resource to lean on. Um, but I think there was a point a few years ago where I saw the Wander Francos and the Vidal Brujans and we already had, you know, Yanni Chirinos and then at the time Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado. And, and, and I think, um, there was a point where I got to do a, an Olympic qualifier in, um, in Korea, um, in for the English broadcast there right before, uh, you know, it was no, I think it was November of 19. It was before COVID had hit. And I was so lost not knowing the language. And I think it almost was like a light bulb moment for me. It's like, my goodness, how hard is it then for um, all of these individuals, yeah. um, you know, to be able to, to deal with a culture change, a language change, you know, all of that together at once. And I said, why can't I make the effort? And Andy does too, actually. Andy works on his Spanish daily as well. And, you know, I mentioned Ricardo and Enrique because there are times where we will just have conversations in Spanish in the booth and they can correct us and and tell us ways to say things. And, and I do feel that it does create more of a comfort and more of a trust um, when you try and build those relationships, I still need a translator for long form. Um, you know, if I'm doing a 10 to 15 minute interview because of the different dialects, because of the slang, because of different phrases and because of the speed at which you need to translate, I, I you know, I admire what, what, um, Manny does because he is so good at it, whether someone's of Cuban descent or, or from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela or Mexico, or Panama, it's 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 different in each tone. Just like if you you're are speaking to someone who in English who grew up in the South or grew up in Boston or grew up in New York or L.A. or the Midwest, it is different. The oh, the yeah. lilts, the 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 accents, the language, the 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 slang phrases. Um, so, um, but I can have small conversations on the side, and and again, as a raised employee building that trust, that confidence that I can have conversations, I think allows us to hopefully better tell the story of the players and the games on a nightly basis. I did want to ask you, you know, as far as preparing for the upcoming season, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing (laughs) as far as what's your day-to-day look like preparing for the upcoming season? Well, I mean, I I don't know that any day is the same, um, but I think usually I'm putting on average, let's say a podcast a week together. So, and, and it may vary based on what's going on that time of year. Um, you know, sometimes it may be more busy. I think we did a couple or three, the week of, 
of the winter meetings when I was out in San Diego and, and I'll write several blog posts a week, you know, usually two or three, depending on average, depending on what's happening They just try and keep people informed. And then I'm doing my own preparation. You know, this, this year will be unique because every team is playing everyone, you know, in the past, um, interleague play has just been one division each year and it's rotated the NL East one year, the central, the next, the West, the next, and so on. Um, now we're playing all 30 teams and playing, um, the other, um, teams in our division a little bit less frequently. So I've kind of put together a little, as I do with all clubs, um, a, a kind of a one sheet with information about, you know, changes that have occurred from the previous year, how well they did last year, how well, you know, what, what their, you know, resources are like, um, who's a free agent at the end of this year, um, you know, who, 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 who isn't with the team that was there last year, you know, their coaching staff. And if anyone is new on that coaching staff or managerial or GM or anything of that nature, um, just kind of have an overview at the, at my fingertips and then start to put information on individual players, beginning with the Rays, um, to make sure I'm as prepped as possible in spring training on those people. Um, and then I'm constantly reading, whether it's local stories written by our reporters here, or whether it's by, um, you know, folks on a national basis or teams we're going to see in spring training, you know, I think just to feel, um, as informed as possible. Um, so you can tell their stories and, and, and then, you know, when spring training starts, you know, you're having daily conversations in the clubhouse. Um, you know, even before that conversations with, uh, individuals in the front office or um, on the coaching staff on a regular basis, just to stay in tune, not to overdo it, but, you know, to make sure you keep that relationship and stay in touch and, you know, have a good feel as best you can for what's going on. You're, you're still only getting a glimpse of what really is happening on an everyday basis, but I think every bit counts. Wow. <laughs> I, I can't imagine, you know, you bring up one thing, I'll just, uh, we, I could do a whole show on it when we'll, and that is how the games are be played this year. You know, we a lot of us look at the NL Central and AL Central and say, okay, there's a lot of room for some improvement there with the other teams. But now, you know, if you're going to see a Dodgers, if you're going to see a Mets, if you're going to see a Braves, you know, if you're going to see a Rays, you know, come up against you. I'm really curious to see what that mix does with the win-loss columns for each division and each team. So I will definitely be keeping a close look on that. And, and a lot of it, you know, we always say it's not who you play, it's when you play them. Like you could play the Dodgers at a point where they're coming off a real emotional series and had to travel a long way. Um, and maybe they're physically a little beat, beat up. Or you may be facing a team when you're in a position where you're missing a lot of players. Um, and what on paper would be a, a series where you think you would do really well, you don't like last year. You know, Cincinnati was not a good team record-wise, but they beat the Rays three in a row yeah. um, in July. And that was, I think, the series where Kevin Kiermaier went out for the year, where Wander Franco was hurt. Um, Shane Boz, I think, was his last start of, of his season. So a, a whole lot of um, difficult moments came together. And, um, you know, you want to say at the end of the year that you're successful against the teams that struggle and you're at least playing close to 500, if not better than that against the good teams. And if you can do that, you're going to be very good. But, you know, each series is is really a unique uh, kind of animal of its own. And a lot depends on exactly when you face a team, you know, from their standpoint and also from your own. 
Well, it should provide for a very interesting season Mm -hmm. for all of us. I do want to ask you a couple of last things. And one of them is, of course, that you are the host of the Tampa Bay Rays podcast each week. And you get to interview, I mean, a multitude of people on with the Rays organization, but you've also spoken with others. Is there one interview, one that's the most memorable for you? Uh, Boy, that's a tough one, you know, because – I think for me, I, I love speaking with players and seeing them open up about a multitude of things and seeing them grow. Um, you know, I mean, over the years, there's some individuals I really like chatting with on a regular basis, sometimes more off air than on air. Sometimes it's the other way around. Um, you know, I, I think like uh, I always found when Alex Cobb was here, I found him to be really forthright and engaging. I thought the same of Willie Adamas and always thought how well he quickly learned English was remarkable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish, I, I hope someday I can speak Spanish half as well as he speaks English. Um, <laughs> to me, that would be a, a major, major accomplishment and, and uh, great appreciation because English is a really hard language to learn if, if you weren't, you know, um, if it wasn't your first. And so I, I think those are probably a couple of individuals that I've found enjoyable and engaging. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are a lot of members of the race front office. They're a lot of fun to have conversations with, and they all have unique backgrounds and stories. So um, I don't know if there's one, I guess I'm always hoping that as much as the fans learn something about an individual, when I speak with them, I'm hoping that I learn something too. And that comes from just being hopefully a good enough listener and doing enough research to ask the right questions. Well, Neil, I know while you do so much with the Rays, you're also very active with a very specific organization. And that's what about building awareness on pancreatic cancer. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your efforts there, the goals and and how things are progressing this year. I really appreciate the chance to, to, bring that up or, or for you to bring that up for me, Mark. Um, you know, I've been um, working on the, the the walk to help end pancreatic cancer, which is Purple Stride for almost since I've been down here. Um, my wife lost her her dad before both of our, our teenage kids were born to pancreatic cancer. And we, um, you know, I think once we came to Florida, we had a friend in New Jersey who, um, uh, a longtime friend who lost his father to the same disease and said, Hey, there may be a chance to get involved. And we kind of jumped at it. And I started out by emceeing their walk um, and then became more involved in terms of not only raising awareness um, on a social media level, but I also am the, the sponsor chair to help companies get engaged and involved too. Um, and I think we're making some really good strides. We still have a long way to go. I mean, you think of, you know, there are probably a lot of individuals out there who know somebody who passed from pancreatic cancer. And we all know someone anecdotally, whether it's Alex Trebek or Bobby Bowden um, or Congressman Lewis or Aretha Franklin. And and unfortunately, that list goes a long, long way. And, and right. over the last several years, we've increased the five-year survival rate from uh, five or 6% to over 11, which is, you know, tremendous, but, you know, we still have a long way to go to find a cure, to find the ability to detect disease early, which I think will go a long way toward, you know, improving that those five-year survival rate numbers. So um, we have a walk on April the 29th. Um, if they look at my Twitter handle or, or just put, 
you know, my, you know, Google search my name and pancreatic cancer, they'll probably find a link to the walk in some way, shape or form. And if they want to get involved and join our team, or if they want to help their company or they want their company to get involved, there's certainly easy ways to get in touch with me. And, um, you know, for everyone who does donate to, um, our team, you know, specifically to me between now and the end of uh, spring training, I'm going to do a special zoom, uh, for everyone who donates at least $10. And, um, for those individuals, I'll have a zoom right before the regular season that they can join. And if I get it where we have so many people, I need to do multiple zooms. I'll do multiple zooms too, you know, whatever, uh, it takes to help raise some more money and awareness to help fight a, a really dreaded disease. That is probably one of the most difficult cancers to, to solve, um, and resolve. And hopefully in, in my lifetime, we can, we can make some really big steps toward it. Wow. Well, thank you for making those efforts. And folks, if you want to participate, and I know I have in the past, and I encourage others to as well, we'll put some links at the at the bottom of the description of the podcast where you can do that. So, Neil, we, you'll not talk about getting that information, just what we need. But, man, thank you so much. Appreciate you having me and pre- appreciate the support as well of, of uh, in the fight against pancreatic cancer. And uh, thanks for having me on to talk about the race, too. I want to thank all of you who are listening today here on Baseball Biz and remind you that you can find us here. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. We're everywhere. Just go ahead and if you listen to us, subscribe to us and drop us a note. You can reach me, Mark, at the Baseball Biz on Twitter. And I look forward to talking with all you guys again real soon. Special thanks to XTAKE RUX for the music rocking forward.